0: Remain standing, if you would, please, as we open our Bibles to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number nine. And it's good to see so many smiling faces. That was a hint. It's good to see so many folks out. And I know that there are several that are traveling, trying to get those last minute. Uh, Bits of enjoyment of this nice weather. Let's be praying for them and several that are out because they're not feeling well. Hebrews chapter number 9. We're going to be picking up where we left off last week. Look with me if you would in verse 15. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promises of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he Sprinkled with blood, both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without the shedding of blood is no remission. Father, we ask that you would meet with us this morning as we get into your word. That, Father, you would simply open up to us bread of heaven. The Father, we could feast this morning on You, Your Word, Your truth, Your beauty. And so, Father, I ask something that only You can do, and that's to calm our anxious minds, remove anything that might be a hindrance, Father, that we would not be easily distracted with the cares of this world. But, Father, we would be focused on You. For it's in your Son's name we pray these things. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Here, as we've made our way through the book of Hebrews, we come to a portion of Scripture uh, where the preacher kind of pauses his discourse uh, as we've been looking at the priesthood of Jesus and the all-sufficient sacrifice of Jesus uh, he kind of pauses for just a moment in his discourse to bring to light the significance of the sacrifice in blood, and so often we we come to uh, things such as this, and we we overlook much of Scripture. And that's one of the things that we um, uh, why we put a, a focus on the exposition of Scripture, going from verse one all the way to the fulfillment. It brings everything kind of in light and helps us to understand the whole picture. And I kind of entitled uh, this morning's message, Bloody and Beautiful. And, and I want you to understand something from the heart of a pastor and from the heart of someone who, whose desire is not that people would fall in love with the ministries of Liberty Bible Church. I don't want people to fall in love with the leadership of Liberty Bible Church. I don't even want people to fall in love with the chairs of Liberty Bible Church. And when the fellowship meetings come along and someone gets excited about the potluck and all the food, I don't want people to get excited and fall in love with the food at Liberty Bible Church. My heart's desire is that people would fall in love with Christ. That they would have a hunger and a desire for more and more of Him. Not anything else. Everything else is just secondary in the grand scheme of things. But when we come to this portion and we see things such as the blood of Christ mentioned over and again, I'm reminded of many times where I've had conversations with individuals who's, oh, I just, I don't, I don't like the thought of blood. I don't, li- I don't want to, it, it, it's gross, it's bloody, it's grotesque. Let's not discuss that. Can I just, for just a moment, be real? The blood of Christ is not grotesque. It's not disgusting. It is beautiful. Because were it not for the blood of Jesus Christ, you and I, my friend, would be hopeless. We would have no way to be able to find uh, ourselves acceptable before God. And so when we see this in all its glory this morning, my hope is that if you do not know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to present to you not what our church can offer. I want to present to you Jesus. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, maybe you have thought for a long time that you did, but there's something that has been holding you back or something maybe a part of you that you've just not wanted to let go of And today is the day that you see Christ presented to you in all of His glory, and you say, this from now on is not going to just be part of my life. I want it to be my life. That's my prayer as I bring God's Word to you week after week. And so the question that kind of comes into play with this is, how does Jesus' death... Bring about forgiveness. And specifically, I'd kind of like to hone in on the blood, why it had to be this death of Jesus Christ and this idea of the blood of Christ being a necessity. For some, as I said, this is gruesome and grotesque, but for those who have been born again by the Spirit of God, this blood of Jesus Christ is beautiful. The doctrine is gorgeous. And so this is where I want to kind of reign in today's study. You know, a lot of disagreement has been made in the passage that we've been reading. There's, There are many ways to go about. There are certain verses that I have seen interpreted so many different ways that uh, really, and, and I can understand a lot of the arguments, but there are so many different things that have been brought uh, brought to mind. For one example, in chapter uh, chapter 9, verse 15, I want you to notice a word that's used there. It says, for this cause, he is the mediator of, a, of the New Testament. And the word that is used there is uh, is diotheke. It's the Greek word that can be translated as an oath or a promise or a covenant. It's more than just a, a promise in word, but it, it was a legal uh, document that was being written. And basically, it's saying that it's a legal uh, act or a legal vow that has been made. And so many want to translate this or say that it ought to be said as covenant, and then so many also argue on the other side as testament. And so I just thought I would go to uh, the Oxford English Dictionary and see what they have to say about the two and determine based on what, uh, uh, what our understanding is, what is being communicated. So first, we see the word covenant. The word covenant is an agreement between two parties. It's a formal promise of legal validity and a legal contract, usually under seal. And so I can see that being the uh, understanding that is conveyed here. But let's look also at testament. The uh, definition of the word testament is a formal declaration, usually in writing, of a person's wishes as to the disposal of property after their death. We know this today as sometimes people put together their last will and testament. And so as we read through this passage, notice verse, uh, uh, verse 15 into 16 and 17. Notice what it says. For this cause he is the mediator of a new, the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is no strength at all while the testator or the one who is testifying or the one who is giving the testament until they are dead. And so I I feel very strongly that the word testament is fine to be used here. Because you and I can make covenants with one another that do not require death. But the testament does require death. And it's important for us to catch this idea and, and, and see exactly what's taking place here because there was a, a, a grammatical thing, I understand, and I can see that. But I believe it's clear enough to let us know that there had to be a death to take place in order for this new testament to come about. And so the question, again, goes back to how does Jesus' death bring forgiveness? Well, let's look at a couple things in the Old Testament, if you would. Go back with me to Genesis, Genesis chapter number 8. Now, the Old Testament practice was to ratify or to make official uh, a contract with the shedding of blood, it was kind of the the way things were sealed and so I want you to notice some things here with with this. Look at an example of this in Genesis chapter number eight verse twenty. And Noah builded an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. While the earth remains seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every fowl of the air, upon uh, all that moveth upon the earth and upon all the fishes of the sea into your hand. They are delivered every morning. That uh, every moving thing, excuse me, that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. And surely your blood of your lives will I require at the hand of every beast, will I require it at the hand of man, uh, in the hand of every man's brother, will I require the life of man. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed for in the image of God made he man if you go back and you notice the uh, the death of an animal was uh, was brought about to uh, solidify this uh uh this covenant that God is making uh, god is, is 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 making a promise but he also puts something in there that we want to know if you look right there where we ended verse number 5 uh i'm sorry verse number um i lost it there we go Bathroom break, excuse me. Okay, verse number five. uh, And surely your blood and your lives will I require. Why? Because verse number four says, but flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. And so the blood is tied to the life. If you go, if you continue in the book of Genesis and jump to uh, chapter number 15 with me. Genesis chapter 15. Now, we've got to make ourselves a, a good foundation before we get into the real meat of the message here. Look at Genesis chapter 15, and uh, look with me at verse number 9. And he said unto him, Take me an heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another, but the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and the horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also the na- that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards shall they come out of the great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a, a good old age, but in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass, when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between these pieces. The Old Testament practice uh, was to uh, give uh, birth to the idea of a covenant. The word for covenant, bereth, uh, simply means a cutting. And what would happen, the uh, The practice was that, as we just read here uh, in Genesis 15, that they would take the animal and they would cut it in, in, in two, in pieces, and they would put them on either side. And the people who were making the covenant together would pass between these pieces. And so the original word was basically a cutting because this is what was required to seal the deal for them. Now, this was not just a Jewish practice. You go back through history, and you find that there were also other blood practices such as this that would come into play with it. And so we want to understand this and understand why this is so important. If you continue to go and jump past Genesis into the book of Exodus, Exodus 24, and we read this in our passage this morning in Hebrews chapter 9. Look at Exodus 24 with me, if you would. Exodus 24 is where Moses sacrifices based on all the uh, uh, the commandments that the Lord had given them. Look there with me in verse number 3. It says, And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments and all the people answered uh, with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord and rose up early in the morning and, b- and builded an altar unto- under the hill and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the children of Israel, which offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, and half the blood sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read in the audience of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has said will we do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people, and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. And so the covenant was sealed. The old covenant was also sealed with the blood. Realizing the why behind the what is of utmost importance. But we need to see the what so that we can move on to the why. And it's quite possible that even in New Testament days that this was something that uh, continued to take place. The way he... Um, refers to uh, the testaments and the covenants and how there needed to be a death, uh, kind of speaks to the idea that these people were familiar with this. They would have understood what was being said. For us today, we are so far removed from blood sacrifice, so far removed from these things, it's difficult for us to kind of connect those dots, I think, sometimes. But in this day, they would have understood with very little explanation, what was going on, and so we have the practice. We understand that, but now let's look at the purpose. As we noted in Genesis chapter nine, the reference to the life being the blood. There's a, in Bible study methods. There's a, a, a one method referred to as the law of first mention. And basically what that is is when I'm reading and I'm studying the Word of God, I come across something such as this, the blood. I want to know why the blood is so significant. I go back at the beginning of the Bible, and I find the first time it was mentioned, and then I move my way through Scripture to see how all that comes into play. It's not a hard and fast rule, but it is an example of the way we can study this. But with the word blood used more than 10 times, I believe it's actually 11 times in this chapter that we see the word blood used, And six of those times, being in verses 18 through 22, I think the writer of Hebrews is trying to stress the importance of the blood of Jesus Christ. This is something that we want to really kind of hone in on for a moment. stands to reason that if he's going to put an emphasis on it, we too need to put an emphasis on it. If you were to look in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 23, you would find that the blood is life. If you were to look again into Leviticus chapter 17, verses eleven, uh, verse 11, you would find where it says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And you would continue to go through, and you would see that God gave that to us for the atonement. And so life is something that we hold very precious. Life is something that we hold very near and dear. Listen, God puts a high priority on life. Very high priority on life. If you were to go through the Old Testament laws and you'd see all the different times where God said re, uh, uh, life would be your life will be required of you, it was because of something that had to do with taking life. And he puts it up at the very top. You've heard people say things like, you know, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This was because they wanted to make sure that things maintained justice. It was not so that Uh, You know, somebody says, okay, well, look, he took my eye. I'm going to take his. That wasn't the reason. The reason for it was because when somebody uh, would sin against someone, you did not take them to an extreme case. A lot of people today, they're taking things to an extreme situation. Someone said a bad thing about me. I'm going to hate them for the rest of their life. No. Just say something bad about them and move on. I'm just kidding. It, 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 It was put there for a reason, to make sure that we didn't take things too far. But in the case of life, God holds a very high priority on life. And so should we. You and I, my friend, should place a very high priority on life. I don't have time for people wanting to argue, well, I can be a Christian and still be pro... Wait a minute. I'm not talking about Christianity. I'm just simply talking about if you desire to be in the image and likeness of God, shouldn't you have the same likes and dislikes that he has? And he, I don't think, is very pleased with the thousands upon thousands that we are sending into eternity every single day. With the doctor's flip of a switch. why well, I'm just not ready for that yet. Wait a minute. God values life. You and I, my friend, should value life. One of my pastor's uh, daughters-in-law was pregnant with triplets the daughter encouraged or the doctor the doctor encouraged her to abort one of them i wonder after she has known them for a little while which one she would have given up god has a very high place for life it's important for us to see how much he values life. Here's why. The shedding of blood was no small act. And it was something that was to reveal just how severe the cost of sin was. I want you to think for just a moment. God puts man in the garden And he says, don't eat from that. In the day you do, thou shalt surely die. He says, you're going to earn something, right? You're going to earn death. But Adam and Eve, they sinned. They committed this grievous sin against God. And what happens? Think back for just a moment. Do you remember one of the jobs God gave Adam before the sin, before the fall? Naming the animals. You know, we we don't have too much of a problem. I, I, I remember a friend of mine, his dad uh, raised, uh, raised, he had a small farm. He raised some different animals, and he had pigs. And we had one pig named Mama Tug. And I'd go over, and Mama Tug was Mama Tug. <laughs> the name fit, Mama Tug. She was a big old pig, and, and she had a pen. All she did was lay around all day, every day. She had to be mammoth, 4,000 pounds. You just go over, that's Mama Tug. Well, there came a day where Mama Tug became Mama Tug. And my buddy's sister was just in tears. Couldn't, oh, I can't eat. I'll never eat bacon again. We named it. Right? You don't name your food, you name your pets, right? Put yourself in Adam and Eve's shoe. And God, He took that little lamb. Adam named it. Adam had a relationship, a special bond with it. And here's God presenting him with clothes made from its skin. Kind of hits a little closer to home now, doesn't it? He didn't go across the street to Farmer John. He got it from Adam's own home. The shedding of blood was no small deal. It was very significant. Far too distant is the memory of the Passover. Let's, we're here in the book of Exodus. Look at Exodus chapter 12. I want you to notice this. Exodus chapter 12 gives to us the institution of the Passover. Look at verse number 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take unto them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto him take it according to the number of the souls. Every man, according to his eating, shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. And ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And ye shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take the blood and strike it on the two uh, side posts and on the upper uh, doorpost of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, uh, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with the bitter herbs, they shall eat it, eat not of it raw, nor sodden uh, at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with the le- with his legs, and with all the uh, pertinence thereof, and he shall and ye shall let nothing of it remain until morning, and that which remaineth until morning and in the morning ye shall burn with fire, and thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded and your shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. it is the Lord's Passover. I want you to notice a couple things about this practice that really stand out. Number one, there was to be a lamb within each house, each family, in other words. Now, nothing is said, if you look at verse number four, it says, and if the household be too little for the lamb. Nothing is really said for the lamb being too little for the household. It's because there's more than enough to go around, more than enough. But there was provision if your family was too small for the Lamb. Go and join another so that you all don't have waste. But not only that, you know, there's a a part of this that really kind of reminisces to inviting others to come and be with you. Inviting others to be part of this. You see, the the idea was that there was more than enough to go around, more than enough to cover, more than enough to take care of things, more than enough, and this is what Jesus is trying to get across to us in his relationship with us. There's more than enough of me to go around. And I don't understand why it is that so many Christians, we seem to find this this treasure that we hold earthen vessels and we're too afraid to open up that earthen vessel and let somebody else share the goodness and the greatness of God. Think about it for a minute. Here we have the Passover lamb. Here's 2021. People be like, burn it? Uh Uh-uh, man, I'm going to have leftovers for the next three weeks. Invite someone else? Nah. Nah, there's no need to do that. I need to make sure that my family's taken care of for the next week. We'll eat on this for a while. No, 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 my friend we're supposed to take part in this together as a family. That's the second thing. Our Passover should be an act for the family. This should be something done as a family. When we look back to the Passover in Exodus chapter number 12, what we see is this family event. It was a family affair. Too often in churches today, we completely separate the family. I got real convicted of this when I was a children's pastor. One day I was walking into church, and I was looking around, and I noticed we place a high priority on the family. We say family is so important, so important. And as soon as they walk in the door, we send the teenagers over there, the children over there, the the college students that direction. Mom goes over here, and Dad goes over here. As soon as they walk in the door, what do we do? Split them up. That's why we put such an emphasis on the family. That's why we want the family to sing together, to worship together. Oh, man, I sure would have liked it if these kids weren't in this service. You know what? Back off, bub. I love seeing kids in the service. The sad thing is that if you were to look around, the majority of children within churches today have never witnessed their parents worship God. That's sad. The Passover was to be a family event. All of them coming together. I even can picture the choosing, the selection of the lamb. Now, note something that took place. On the 10th day, they got the lamb. 14th day, they sacrificed the lamb. What they do in between. Traditionally, we're taught that the family would separate that little lamb. Some people would have a special area for it in their sheep herd. Some of the poorer families would bring it into the house. I can imagine my kids going out. All right, guys, this is going to be the Passover lamb. Your job is to feed it every morning. Your job is to make sure it never wants for something to drink. Your job is to look it over every day, a few times a day, to make sure there's no cuts, no spots. If anything's wrong, I need to know immediately, this is the lamb. Can you imagine a little baby lamb and the kids And you and mom, everybody as a family, caring for, taking pains to ensure that everything that lamb needs is is, is covered. Making sure that that little lamb does not get lost. That little lamb does not get injured. That little lamb does not go hungry. And you have brought this one into your house. And for four days, you have nurtured and doted on that lamb only to take it to the altar. It was something that was very precious. The act of the sacrifice, the yearly sacrifice, when that lamb would be brought up onto the altar, you would place your hand on the head of the lamb. And as the sacrifice was being made, you were to confess your sins. God, forgive me. Forgive me for gossiping this week. That's why this is here. God, forgive me for the bad attitude I had with my boss this week. That's why that's here. God, forgive me for cheating on my taxes. That's why it's here. God, forgive me for lying to my boss. That's why this is here. God, forgive me for the way I talk to my wife. That's why this is here. God, forgive me for being disrespectful to my husband. That's why this is here. God, forgive me for losing my temper with my children. That's why this is here. God, forgive me for all the things that I've done. That's why it's here. It was no small thing. And year after year after year, this was done. You see, worship and praise ought to be a family affair. And I believe it's time that we make it a priority in our homes. Spending time with our children, explaining to them the importance you know, today the kids are in their in their classes, they're learning about the different rules. All the rules that the Old Testament came up with, right? And why do we have rules? I used to take kids to camp and I'd say things like, okay, well, there are no rules this week because I know you all don't like them. And they just kind of look at you kind of funny like, seriously, y'all can do whatever you want to. Go hog wild. It's going to be the best week of your life. But if somebody punches you in the nose, I don't want to hear about it because there's no rule against that. So don't come crying to me. If you fall off one of the roofs and you break an arm, I don't want you coming crying, crying to me. There's no rules against where you're allowed to be. You can be wherever. If you get lost and we don't find you until the coyotes got you, don't cry to me. No rules. None. So whatever somebody else does to you, no problem. They just kind of look, well, that's not fair. Oh, so you want rules. Yeah. All right, let's come up with some rules then. The kids are learning about that today. There's consequences to breaking the rules. And the rules are there for your protection. Every time God gave us one, it was not, well, let's see what else I can ruin their fun with. It was don't do this because it's going to turn out bad. I want you to notice just a couple more things with this. I want you to see the product of what took place. Because you remember I talked about the the Lamb. Christ was Our lamb. And so, why is it that Jesus shed his blood for us? Why is it that Jesus supplied this sacrifice? I want you to see there in verse number 22. Back to Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 22. Look at the second half. It says, Without shedding of blood, There is no remission. This is an interesting statement for us. I've heard people say things like, well, wasn't it enough that Jesus lived a perfect life? No, my friend. I'm not trying to belittle the life of Jesus at all. But it was His death and His resurrection that sealed it. it was the blood that he poured out if you go back into uh, matthew mark luke and you go into 1 corinthians and the uh, uh to the lord's supper what is it that jesus says this is my blood the new testament or the new covenant in my blood it had to be the blood of jesus and so, what is it so great about Jesus' sacrifice? What is it so great about Jesus' blood? Well, it supplies the covering for your sin. That's what this remission is. Year after year, the band aid was brought out in the Old Testament. They would put that, uh, that sheep there and they would show and they would re- represent these things. And it was something that took place over and over again, but it never atoned for sin, it only covered Christ atones completely it's completely done. there's nothing left to uh, to atone for all the sins of the past and the present and the future they have all been atoned for if we place our trust in it. We're going to get into this a little bit more next week. There is an if. If you want to do it on your own, go ahead. That's not possible. You have to, by faith, receive it. So why did Jesus shed His blood? Want to supply the covering of your sins and to provide forgiveness for you. I want you to notice just a couple more things and we'll you ready to close everything up. Forgiveness is attainable for all. And I ask? I was talking with a a guy just a couple days ago, and he was asking me. He knew I was a pastor, and he was asking me my um, my ideas about a few different things, and and he was asking me if I'd ever read a certain religious text. I said, I think I may have read into it, but I've never read it, read it. And he said, Oh, you need to read it. You need to read it. I said, okay, so okay, I'll make you deal. I'll read something that you want me to read if you read something I want you to read. Fair enough. He says, Okay, that'd be fine. So next time I see you, I'll bring it to you. I asked him simply what does what does that teach you about right and wrong? He started to give me a couple answers and I said you mind if I ask what does it do with your guilt and shame? Because that can help you from that day forward but what about what you did yesterday and the day before and last year and the year before? He just kind of looked and he said I don't know. You see my friend Jesus' blood, just like that lamb, is more than enough. It's sufficient not to just cover the sins of yesterday, but to also cover the sins of today. And guess what happens tomorrow when we mess up? It's enough to cover that one too. The blood of Jesus Christ is the only thing that is all-encompassing. It's the only thing. Forgiveness is attainable to all because Christ's blood has been shed. The lamb is more than just one family can expend. So let me ask just a couple things with this. Are you trusting Christ's all-sufficient sacrifice? Are you trusting that this morning? You see, sin requires justice. If you were to look back in Genesis chapter two, he said, "In the day that you eat, you'll surely die." It requires justice, and what happened? The day they ate, they were separated from God. Sin requires it. The Bible tells us in Romans six twenty three, "The wages of sin." It's death. But Jesus Christ, because that verse continues, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If it were not for His death on the cross, the blood of Jesus, we wouldn't be able to say that. The gift, free, no requirement necessary, free gift of God is eternal life. Are you trusting in Christ's sacrifice or are you trusting in something that you can do? Then, second, are you living in the reality of His finished work? Are you living in that reality? Well, how do I know I'm living in that reality, preacher? Are you still trying to earn some sort of merit, some form of forgiveness? Are you still trying to live a life that kind of pays him back? No, 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 my friend. No. He's paid it all. Live there. Beautiful. Beautiful the next time the blood of Christ is mentioned, just sit back, close your eyes for a minute, and just praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. And praise the Holy Ghost. Father, thank You for the blood, for the precious blood of Jesus that washes us white as snow. And Father, I ask, Lord, that You would move in our midst. But Lord, if there's anything that would keep anyone from You, that You would remove that. Father, I pray that You would Speak to hearts, Father, for the young ones that are here today, that You would impress upon them at a very early age their need for You. Help them, Lord, to see You as all-sufficient. Help them, Lord, to see You as enough. But Father, as we give this time to You, work in our hearts and in our life, to make us mourn to Your dear Son's image. It's in Your Son's name we pray. Amen.